0: I want to talk to you, today is considered Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about that. Today I wanna talk to you about the God, the God you want. Everybody say the God you want. I think in the next few moments, this particular message challenges every person in this room. I do my best to, I believe the word of God, if it's preached, it affects everybody. But I really think in putting this together, all of us can find ourselves in what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to talk about Palm Sunday, where we hear that from and where we get that from. So let me just take you to the story where we get the idea of Palm Sunday. It is in every single gospel. We're going to take the story today out of the book of Matthew chapter 21. And here's the story. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. That's a good disciple, isn't it? Doing what Jesus said. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks. Put on them their cloaks, sorry. And he sat on them, talking about Jesus. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Verse nine. Now allow me to give you one minute of context. This is a really big moment. This is something that the Jewish people were looking forward to. They were expecting the Messiah to come for thousands of years. And Jesus, who we know is the Messiah who has come, tells his disciples to go in the town in front of him and get a donkey and a colt, get a baby and a mama. And bring them to me. And he rides that one of those donkeys into town. I believe it would have been the colt. they believe. Which is fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy spoken about the Messiah to come. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. Speaking in regards to the future. Rejoice, O people of Zion. This is written hundreds of years before that day. Shout in triumph. Oh, people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. This is spoken hundreds of years in advance. The people are cheering as the new king has come into town. They have taken garments and they have laid them on the road, and some have laid them on the donkeys themselves. Not only that, they have these palm branches that they're waving in the setting in the street. Can I have my palm branch? Thank you very much. Now, I hate to tell you that I totally trespassed on property to get this. And I'm not lying. I can't tell you where I got it, but I definitely got it. It was funny. I was driving and I thought, man, I would love to get a palm branch looking thing. We don't have these in Ohio. I don't know what this is. This could be poison ivy for all I know. <laughs> but I was uh, on my way home the other, yesterday after studying a little bit and I thought I saw something about 50 feet in the woods, about 50 feet. So I go in, the, I parked on the side of the road and I'm thinking, I hope nobody sees me. There is a sign that says no trespassing right there. I said, "But this is for you, Lord, This is for you." I go in there, and as God is my witness, I walk up to it to break it, and a massive turkey jumps out from underneath it. And I thought the cops. I thought I was. I thought I died and went to hell. Man, I don't know what happened. Instant like dark right on. And underneath this, well, underneath the other one, I didn't. I took the one that was beside it. Was a bunch of turkey eggs. So that's what I ate this morning. Anyway, let's uh. Just kidding, I left them there. Somebody will email me and be like, Pastor Ethan. They have these palm branches and they're waving them in the presence of Jesus. Now here's what's interesting. Now when I was a kid in Sunday school, they would bring us little palm branches and we'd wave them and, and, and they would teach us on Palm Sunday. But what we have to understand is that these branches that they used would have been a great multitude of people. And it was like a patriotic parade. And these palm branches were a symbol of Jewish nationalism. The crowd looked to Jesus as they were waving, in a sense, almost their American flag as Jesus has come into town. They're waving these branches. And many theologians believe that they had the expectation not that the Messiah had come to save them from their sin, but that the Messiah had come to save them from political oppression. So they are waving these palm branches in belief, saying, save us. Hosanna means save us. The crowd is shouting, save us. They have political salvation in mind from the Roman government that has oppressed the people. Notice Jesus comes in on a donkey. He doesn't come in on a war horse. Jesus comes in one way. They are thinking something completely different. See, they are looking for a king to rule the nation. God is looking for a son to heal creation. They are looking for a throne for Jesus. Jesus is looking for a cross. They are wanting Jesus to defeat the Roman Empire. Jesus came to defeat sin, death, hell, and the grave. They're waving their branches. They have a belief. And let me just say this, sometimes what we have in mind and what God has in mind are two very different things. I mean, I'm sure you can go into your own life and look at your dating choices and realize now in reverse, I had something in mind and God had something in mind and they were not the same thing. Can I get an amen, anybody? Sometimes the character choices or the things that we do or the jobs that we take or the conversations that we have are not exactly what God has in mind. I think this is one of the struggles of humanity. God has in mind something and we have in mind something. We oftentimes, the greatest temptation, hear me, I think in humanity, is allowing ourselves to shape God in our image and not letting God shape us in His image. It is human, and it is often that we want God to align with our personal feelings, our agendas, our choices, our beliefs, and oppose to us aligning ourselves to God's plan and God's purpose and God's agenda. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because I don't want to shake you up too bad, but I don't know if you know this, but God is not an American. God is not a Republican. God is not a Democrat. God is not a Baptist. God is not a Catholic. God is not a cutting-edge, non-denominational. He's God. His ways are higher. (laughs) That was kind of an iffy clap. I'm not sure if everybody was with me on it. The Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher and greater than our thoughts. And we just can't forget who we're dealing with. And we don't get the privilege to inform God what we are doing and then ask him to bless it. We have to find out what God is blessing and then do it. Let me help you a little bit. Are y'all still with me? We're talking about what we have in mind is often different than what God has in mind and we oftentimes want God to comply to our human construct of him. I had a call one time, and this may, some of you may not agree with this, and that's okay. Um, I have the mic. (laughs) Just kidding. That's a joke. The, uh, I got a call one day from a woman who was, said she loved God, did not go to church consistently, did not give, did not serve, did not do anything, was living with her boyfriend, and they had a little bit of an addiction problem, but she loved God, she loved all this, She said she loved God. You know, talk is cheap. Your life should show that you love God. Now, we're not all perfect, right? No one has it all together. But we should know you by your fruits, right? We're all working on it. We don't judge each other. But this woman called me and she said, Pastor Ethan, I believe there are dark spirits in my house and I need you to come and pray them out. I was like, well, who let him in? Because <laughs> I want you to hear me today. I 100% believe in demons. I do. I believe in darkness. I think you play with some stuff. You're going to enter. You're going to allow some stuff in your life that's not a God. It's not, gonna, it's not good. Well, they wanted me to come and to pray over their house to cleanse it, anoint it, Holy Spirit, demon. I don't know. I, I, I went and bought a collar and everything for this. I don't know. I'm just kidding. So I told the lady, I said, "Well, give me some fe- give me some background here. What's happening?" Well, we think grandma's banging around in the kitchen, and somebody dead back there, and somebody's in the attic. And I'm like, "What are you guys into?" She started sharing with me, you know, we do watch this, and you know, we do play with this game sometimes. I'm like, "Well, that's your problem here." And then I started asking her more questions. Ends up being that. He has like a, what she called a $50 a week addiction. And as I kept listening, I said, let me just help you. Let me just help you. I don't mean to be ugly. I said, I can come and I'll pray. And the Bible says by the authority of the name of Jesus, whatever's in there is going to come out when I come in and cast it out. It's going to go. But when I leave 10 minutes later, it's coming back. Because you are asking God to bless something that is not in his word. You're living together, that's not right, it's not biblical. You're you're playing these dark games, what are you thinking? You're watching this, you're doing this, you're addicted to this? You are then asking God to put his hand on you, come and bless what I do. And I'm not trying to be ugly, I told her, I said, I can come and pray. But you are the priest of your home. And you got to decide. You got to decide. Are you going to live under the government of God where the blessing is? Or are you going to live your own life and create this human construct of God in your mind that's not in the Bible? Am I helping anybody? So we create this version of God that come blessed, like wanted me to do a magic trick. And I didn't go and pray. She decided not to let me come. Good. Because what they needed to do, and I told her this on the phone, what you need to do is you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Let's start there. Let's get that house saved. And and then when you get under the blessing of God's word, the blessing of being in fellowship with other believers, you'll watch your life change around and whatever's in your home won't stay anyway. We create a version of God in our heads that are not really in the word. So let me ask you this question. We're talking about Palm Sunday. All those people cheering and celebrating. Let me ask you this question. What do you think about when you think about God? What do you think about when you think about God? Heard a story of two little boys that were uh, always getting in trouble at Sunday school. And I've been there. Anybody go to Sunday school growing up? My mom would look at me sometimes out of Sunday school and say, Ethan, I know you can do better. I'd be like, no, I can't. I'm doing my best. I promise. But when we were... I heard this story of two little boys that were in Sunday school and the pastor was so tired of trying to figure out what to do and so finally he changed his idea of how to deal with these children. He sits the two boys down he says, sons, he said, boys, where is God? The pastor's just trying to help them understand that God's in you. You don't wanna violate that. You wanna listen to God and you're acting bad in class. The pastor kept saying, where is God? The two little boys, just sitting there looking at the preacher, and he said, one more time, where is God? And the one boy hit the other says, we gotta get out of here, God is missing, and they think we did it. (laughs) It is easy to jump to some wrong conclusions about God, amen? And there are three things that I'm just gonna hit briefly that I think oftentimes create a perception of God in our lives If we're not careful, these things have a way of leading us to making us think God is a certain way when he may not be that way, okay? Number one, circumstances. They were oppressed by the Roman government. It was a deadly time. There was heavy taxation. Every child under two years old, the year Jesus was born, was hacked. It was a scary time to be alive in the time of Jesus, and circumstances can help can oftentimes pressure us into thinking save us. You're gonna do, pressurize us to wave our palm branches, pressurize us to say this is how it is, right? Pressurize us to believe that God is gonna do something that he may not have promised. So let me say it like this. Sometimes people experience hard things in life, hard situations. Family setbacks, financial turmoil, physical sicknesses, and those circumstances can make you really question who God is. Am I talking to anybody? Can really make you wonder, is God real? Is God present? Is God involved? Is God even around, does God even love me? You start thinking things and circumstances have a way of breaking, our, breaking us down and making us reevaluate if God's really there, if God really loves me, if God's really present. I shared the story on Wednesday night and I'll share it for just a brief moment. I remember I got a phone call one day from a young family in our church I went to the hospital. When I arrived at the hospital, the mother had had a massive heart attack. She was in her early 50s, and as soon as I walked in dead quiet, all the family and friends were there, and the son looks at me and says, Pastor Ethan, where is God in all of this? What do you say to that? I went in moments later. His mother had been dead for 30 minutes and they hadn't moved her out, and I, they wanted me to go in with the three kids as they laid on their mother and kissed her goodbye and hugged her and loved her. I sat in the room. And I could have the same question. Where is God in all of this? Does, is anybody with me? You've been there where you've held the hand of a family member. Maybe you've been to court. Maybe you've been through a, some bad situations and it can make you really wonder. Circumstances can think, make you think, well, God wasn't there for this person. God wasn't there for that. You know, I've, i I had an uncle who passed away of cancer. He was really young, and and it was just a couple years ago, really. And we all had faith and believed this man knew his Bible like nobody's business. And we are, we, you know, we're miracle working. We believe in miracle working power. We're miracle people. And he didn't get a miracle, and he passed away. He didn't get a miracle on this earth. He's well in heaven today. But he didn't, we didn't get. God didn't meet our expectations. It would be very easy to walk away from that circumstance and wave this branch and say, God does not do miracles today. God does not do miracles today. Save us. God does not, and we just begin to build a theology around experience. God doesn't do miracles today. But the Bible talks about how miracles are for today. So I can't explain why he didn't get a miracle, but that doesn't stop me from believing for more miracles. Amen somebody. Not only circumstances, the next one, the crowd. Crowd. The Bible says they many times they're greeting Jesus as a king. They they are looking to him as a potential nationalist leader. They want to become independent from this foreign power and these voices are speaking up and cheering in the crowd. Let me say this, it is so easy to let social media or the crowd or the culture define God for you. I'm amazed at the stuff I see people share on social media that could be a Christian and they could share something, That's, that's not biblical but it gets like 50 shares because it's really well-worded. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, that makes no sense. <laughs> that, makes, that makes no sense. But people are creating a construct of God based on what the crowd around them, popular opinion, what they want, what they've said, what they've agreed to, Am I talking to anybody? The crowd didn't want to be saved from sin. They wanted the revenge and liberation from Rome. Is this making sense? The crowd is going to oftentimes dictate what we believe about God. It's not always healthy. Here's a third one. I added this one in just because I think it's huge is your childhood. Your childhood. Now, I'm not a counselor, but with talking with people over the years, I've come to the conclusion, come to the conclusion that a lot of times what people struggle with with God comes from their childhood. Now, I'm not sure all the time, but how their mother or their father or an authority figure, whether good or bad, if there was abuse or abandonment, we easily transfer that to our heavenly father. And how you see those authority figures growing up have a way of affecting as a filter the way you see God in your life. It's a really strange effect that if you had a harsh father, you can just assume that God is a harsh God. If you had a loving father, you believe that God, it's easier for you to understand that God is a loving God. If you had a father who disciplined you harshly or a mother or a coach or a mentor that yelled at you and screamed at you, you immediately think that God is going to kill you and rip your head off. Or if you had a parent or an upbringing where you had no discipline, you would be appalled that God would ever correct you. Our childhood has a huge effect on who we are becoming and who we see God as. And I want you to hear me today. One of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to distort our view of God. Catch this. Have you ever watch Cops? You ever watch Cops? Yeah. Cops is the best show in the world, isn't it? It's just so entertaining, so entertaining. And the stories these people come up with to get out of stuff is it's just amazing. But have you ever noticed when you watch Cops that they blur their face? You ever notice that? They don't blur their hands. They don't blur the stomach. They don't blur their shoes. They don't blur their whole body. They just blur their face. What they're trying to do is keep people from identifying that individual. And if they can blur the face, they then make it very difficult to see who that person is, to identify who that person really is. It's the same way with what the enemy does with God. He tries to fog the face of God, so to speak. Sometimes it's religion that fogs the face. Sometimes it's our childhood, it's the crowd. Sometimes it is just people, what they say, things you've gone through, experiences you have had in your life. It has a way of blurring the face of God and have your Christian has your Christian experience been tainted by your incorrect views of God? Now, I need you to look at me real quick. I can tell you're like, Pastor Ethan, are you gonna scream or be funny in a minute? Just listen to me. Now, I got, anybody got an iPhone? An iPhone, okay. Now, when iPhone came out, you had to put the code in. Anybody remember the code? You had to type a code in. Then, it moved to the the thumbprint, the, the fingerprint stuff. Remember that? Then, we really took the mark of the beast when we went to facial recognition, Anybody's phone do that? Okay, so my phone does the facial recognition. And there are many times that I'm trying, when I'm trying to just unlock my phone. And there are so many times, whether I'm laying down or I got a kid on my lap or whatever, and it will tell me something like this, your face not recognized. I think I got a picture of it. Have you ever seen this where it's like, face not recognized? It can't, I can't identify your face so you're not getting in, okay? The phone is telling me your face is not recognized. (laughs) It's the same face it's always been. There's no other face. But what I oftentimes have to do is reposition the lens. Many people are not unlocking the fullness of God because they have not tried to reposition the lens. They see God the way they wanna see him and they can't get past their Baptist raising, Pentecostal raising, Methodist raising, Episcopalia raising, abusive father, circumstance, situation, childhood, and they get there and I can't see God. Hey, face not recognized. God's saying, quit trying to change my face to fit your preference. Change the lens to see my face. Am I helping anybody? If you can reposition your lens, you can have access to the phone. The reason many people view God as mean because their lens is mean. There are some people, I know a lawyer, he told me that he struggles, that God's a God of love because he always deals with law. So he sees God as law all the time. And there's a part of God that are standards and good and great, but he has to learn his grace and truth. And he told me he struggles with seeing God correctly. Well, people could ask me, okay, I've heard all this great thoughts, Pastor Ethan. How do I see God right? I don't know about you, but I want to see God correctly. I don't want to see God with this, with this tainted view of experiences. I want to just know God purely and authentically for who he is. And I want to show you this, Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul says this, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Did you see this? He's saying, look at me, look at my glory, look at me directly. Don't look through the filter of denominationalism don't look through the filter of your circumstance. Don't look through the filter of your childhood. Don't look, at the f- through, don't look at me through the filter of your pain. Look at me purely. And as you look at me, you will be changed in my image, not the other way around. Because when you look at God through the filter of your pain, you're making God in your image. He's saying, if you just look at me unadulterated, purely see me for who I am. Well, how do you do that? I want you to hear me today. This is how Ethan does it. Number one, I really believe we need to be people of the book. You gotta be. It is 2022. It is easier now to read a million trillion different translations. You can get it on your phone. Find whatever works for you, but get in the word of God because this is our documentation of our God. Go to this word. What do you have to say about you, God? Look how Jesus handled children. Look how Jesus handled storms. What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about serving? What does the Bible say about love and forgiving? And It's just teaching me who God is. I need his word. The word is a unadulterated, purely clean way to see God's glory. And as I learn who he is, I become like him. It's relationship, building a life with God. Not only that, but I think worship is another way. That worship isn't just 30 minutes of fun before we preach. That we just drink our coffees and stare at Pastor Tyson. Worship is something we do We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. And when we worship the King of Kings, there will be moments. Oh, I want you to hear me today. There will be moments you get glimpses of the glory. Just a glimpse of his glory. Just a glimpse of, it don't happen all the time, but every once in a while a tear may run down your cheek and you feel the purity of God's presence on you. And you're not worshiping to feel something. You're worshiping because he's good. But every once in a while you get a glimpse of the glory and he lets you just see him for who he really is. Just yesterday, I'm out of time, but yesterday I came in here and studied. And before I studied, I had all kinds of stuff on my mind, just like you do every day, bills and people and, and, and circumstances and things I'm aware of and things I'm dealing with. And, and the first thing I did, I had a full day of studying. I came in, I turned on worship music and I began to walk around my office. and I just began to worship God. In just a few minutes, all of a sudden a tear begins to run. I don't cry a lot, but a tear begins to run down my face because I started getting a taste of the glory. Something I don't hear people talk about much is the taste of the glory. You won't have an affair if you keep tasting the glory. You you, you won't run away from your problems if you just keep tasting the glory. You keep getting in his word, you keep getting in his presence, getting in a small group, learning people, getting connected, get into a family of faith, get godly relationships, moments of prayer, talking to God, building a relationship. Purely, unadulterated, uncluttered relationship with Jesus. That's what I want. Because when you hear people explain the God that they think they believe in, I don't think I would serve that God either. After you hear other people explain God, like, I don't know if I would do that. This harsh, mean, angry God. He said, if you behold, you will become. If you will behold, I become what I will, I become what I behold. What I look at, I'm evolving into that thing. Life moves in the direction of dominant thought. Here's my final question for you. Do you need to reposition? Do you need to reposition your lens? Have you been seeing God as harsh, angry, Have you been seeing God incorrectly and maybe today in the power of his spirit? He's ministering to you to just declutter who you think God is. Just declutter who you think God is and come to the conclusion that if I can just see him for who he really is, if I can get in his word, if I can get in his presence, if I can just taste his presence, his glory, he'll change me And I'll be like him. Rather than me, waving my, telling God to comply to my expectations. Because the same crowd that says, hail him, five days later says, nail him. I want you to hear me today. I really believe that if we can see God for who he really is, if we could really see God for who he really is, all the love, all the care, fully aware of your imperfections and your insecurities that we try to cover and impress each other with, and fully aware of that, yet dies for you, accepts you, loves you, cares for you, you wouldn't want to do life without him. Can I pray with you today with eyes closed? If you're in the room today and you say, man, I just need that, I need a, I need a new slate clean. I wanna see God for the purity of who he is. It's just not the God I want. I don't want it just God that I want. I want the God that I need not a God that I want that fits my agenda. If that's you, just right where you are, say, God, help me see you more clearly for who you really are. Will you raise a hand? We're gonna pray together. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Maybe you're one of the hands that were raised saying, I need to know Jesus. I've been away from God. I know I need to know God. I've, I've backslidden or I have never known Jesus. He wants to know you today. He loves you. He cares for you. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Help us to see you for who you are. Not through the lens of our experiences. Help us not to try to create you to be in our image. To you, for you to be the God we want. But God, be the God to us we need. Thank you for dying for us, saving us, healing us, restoring us, dying on the cross for us. And God, I pray we'll have clear thoughts. Give us a hunger for your word, a hunger for your presence, and a hunger for your spirit. In Jesus' name, if you believe it today, someone give God a big praise in the house. You can stand with us all over the room. Mr. Michael Miller is coming to close the service. Have a hunger for the Word, church. Have a hunger for His presence. Do it at get. If it's new to you, that's okay. Get a Bible app, a plan, whatever works for you. Now let's close service. Just put your hands out for a moment. We're getting ready to let you go. Thank you, Jesus. God, give us a taste of your presence and your glory. Let us never just run away from you, but run to you. In Jesus' name, amen.